You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We again take our Bibles and turn this afternoon to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I read with you the verses 1 through 9. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to teach you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your hearts that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are ironing and you can dig copper out of the hills." We turn to Luke chapter 12, the verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. Tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? 
since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more would it clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The verses 6 to 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. And people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I proclaim to you this afternoon the word of the Lord our God as we can read it from Deuteronomy, Luke, and Timothy. As the church has summarized it, we together confess it in Lord's Day 50 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread, that is, provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good and that our care and labor and also your gifts cannot do us any good without your blessing. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how important is a good wage to you? As you discuss with your children their options for their future, choice of career, perhaps even looking for a part-time job, what signal do you give to them in relation to earnings? The question is an important one. We live in a particular culture. And we're in fact touched by this culture, of course. And the message that comes to us in our culture is, you've got to get the best dollar. Money equals opportunity to get things. Opportunity to do things. Money 
is prestige in a social circle. Money has power. And that's why good wage is important. It turns out that the Bible knows no such emphasis on getting a good wage. The emphasis in Scripture is elsewhere. It is on service in God's kingdom. That, brothers and sisters, is the message that Jesus presses upon his disciples when he teaches them to pray. For he tells them, pray for bread. I summarize the sermon this afternoon with this theme. The Savior teaches us to pray for bread, and so to be content with bread. I ask your attention for three points. First, the value of bread. In the second place, the baggage, sorry, the burden of baggage. And in third place, the perspective for life. The disciples, brothers and sisters, were normal people. Living the same sorts of lives that you and I did. There came the day when they approached their teacher, Jesus of Nazareth, with this question. Teach us, they said, to pray. And Jesus taught them to pray. When you speak to God, he said, call him Father, our Father in heaven. And Jesus continued, ask him the following. Hallowed be your name. Then your kingdom come. Then your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And then he continued, ask, give us today our daily bread. Interesting question. Peter was a fisherman. We may assume a businessman. So was his brother Andrew. So were James and John. Matthew for sure. A businessman, tax collector. Shouldn't I ask then for a boat? Good income, prosperity in the business. Teach us to pray, they ask. And Jesus says, the kitchen table, bread. And we wonder, why? We could answer that by saying, bread, basic staple for rich and poor, then and today. So, by telling his disciples to ask for bread, he was telling them to confess their dependence even for the basics. Yes, yes, there's that. We could say, by asking for bread, Jesus is telling his disciples that the other things aren't all that important. They're all passing away. Yes, there's that too. 
But there is congregation more to it. And that's this, that our chief prophet and teacher is obviously building on God's Old Testament revelation. And what is it that God has revealed in the Old Testament that would prompt the Lord to say in answer to his disciples' question, pray for bread. And here we need to turn to a passage as Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16. The people of Israel have departed from Egypt, have crossed the Red Sea, and are in the desert. This is the people that God has said is my people. The people in which he said to Pharaoh, let my son go. This is the people he's bringing to Mount Sinai. And he'll establish with them again his covenant of grace. He will say of this people, you are mine. As a matter of fact, all the Israelites' men, boys, carried with them the sign of the covenant. They were circumcised. This people belong to the Lord in the same way as Kaya and all of us belong to the Lord. He has said, mine. Well, that's all nice, but the fact is, Exodus 16, the people are hungry, and they have nothing to eat. What's it mean that you belong to the Lord? That you're God's covenant children. What good is that when the stomach rattles and the children are crying? And the Lord would show his people what kind of a covenant God he is. He doesn't only deliver from bondage in Egypt, but he looks after daily needs. And he gives his people bread. How much? Says Exodus 16, verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. It sounds like much. Rain it down. The people are to go each day and gather enough for that day. Why? Because this covenant God gives daily bread. That's him. A God you can count on day by day. His mercies are new every morning. It's not a a once-in-a-lifetime handout. Not a a once-in-a-year splurge on his part. But every day anew, he supplies the needs of his people. That congregation is what the people of Israel were to learn. We're his covenant people. That's to say, he'll supply daily. So, they are to trust. One day at a time. that He'll supply the needs of each day, as each day's need might be. It's something that David understood. And so he could put it down in Psalm 145. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food 
at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Then, especially, your own covenant people. That being the case, God's Old Testament people were not to ask for steak and caviar, but bread, in the conviction that bread represents God's goodness. He gives it daily, as each day needs it. We read together a portion from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's part of the sermon that Moses delivered to the people of Israel after they'd spent the 40 years in the desert. They're at the Jordan River to cross into the Promised Land. Now what's Moses say to Israel? He says in verse 2, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your hearts, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. Why? Says Moses, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The important thing for Israel in the desert, and as they cross into the promised land, is not how much stuff can we gather. The important thing is, Our God looks after us, and so let us trust in him. So Moses continues, your clothes didn't wear out, your feet didn't swell during these 40 years. As he gave bread, so he gave clothes, so he gave safety, so he gave you anything, everything you needed. All you needed. To live for the glory of your God, your Deliverer. What's the message Israel's to learn from it all? The focus of life isn't bread. The focus of life isn't even stuff. But the focus of life is your relation with God. Well, is God's relation with you. And so the privilege for you to be safe in his sovereign hands. Vital is the vertical. You and God. Covenant God and you. Jesus has this question to his disciples. Teach us to pray. His answer, give us each day our daily bread. You see, he taps into the instruction of the Old Testament and impresses upon his disciples that their vision is not to be fixed on this earth, as if earth offers all you need, full tables, flash bank account, comfortable toys, as if important is the horizontal. 
Each day, give us our daily bread. Jesus tells his disciples to pray. And that's to say, Father, we depend on you and we confess that not the horizontal, the bits and pieces of this life is important, but you, our God, our Father, we need your blessing. We need your mercies every morning. And we pray then that you, Lord God, supply our daily needs. That is the value of bread. Bread. Because it fixes attention on the God who gives and not on the abundance that this life can acquire. That brings us to our second point, the burden of baggage. The disciples were common people, like you and me. Lived, too, in a culture, like we do, that had its own level of prosperity, and people could enjoy the comforts of this life. Here's a question, then, for the disciples to think about, and you and me. If Jesus, in the fourth petition, hooks back onto God's revelation in Exodus 16 and Deuteronomy 8, would it have been valuable and important and pressing for Israel as they walk through the desert to pan for gold? How would you answer that? Would it be vital for the people of Israel on the way to the promised land to stop and start digging for gold? And somewhere we recognize, no, that's not important. Why not? Covenant God not only gave deliverance from slavery, but every day anew he supplies daily bread. The clothing that each day requires, the footwear each day requires. And this God promises to give the promised land. A land of abundance. If Israel's now is going to stop and root to the promised land and start digging for gold, that is going to be a drag on their ability to travel. More, it's going to be a drag on their capacity to trust. Why do I ask the question? Because the disciples, brothers and sisters, are en route with Jesus to the promised land. Christ has come. Christ is going to go to the cross. From there he will ascend into heaven. His kingdom is coming and will come in fullness on the last day. The disciples are en route with Jesus to that new Jerusalem. 
But these men are, I don't know, 25 years old, 30 years old, 35 years old. Jesus was around 30. But point is, they've got lots of life ahead of them. Lots of opportunity. Lots of challenges in preaching the gospel, in their marriages, in raising their children, in feeding their families, looking after their health, and so on. How shall they pray? Lord, give us gold. We haven't got time to stop for digging. Will you give it to us? And Jesus says, bread. Why? What does Peter live for? Why is Matthew on this earth? For that matter, why are you and I here and why is Kaya here? The fourth petition congregation is the fourth petition for a reason. Give us this day our daily bread follows the third petition, your will be done, which follows the second, your kingdom come, which follows the first, hallowed be your name. The point of it, why are we here? To hallow God's name. How shall we hallow the name of our God? By doing what we can in the particular circumstances of our lives to make his kingdom come. And how do you do that? And part of it is, what do you teach the children entrusted to your care? What's the nature of the conversation around the kitchen table? How do the children read you as parents? Do they see you making his kingdom come? Or do they see you making your own kingdom come? How do you make God's kingdom come? By doing his will. That's why the third petition follows the second. Your kingdom come. Help me then, Lord, to do your will on earth as it is being done in heaven. In the daily circumstances of my life, be it as it is in the family, be it at work, be it at school, wherever God gives a place in his kingdom, help me, Lord, to acknowledge you are king and so to do your will. For I'm here. For your glory, to hallow your name. But I need particular bits and pieces to do God's will. And so to make his kingdom come and to glorify his name. Like what? Well, I need food. I need sleep. I need a vehicle to get to work. And the list goes on. And Jesus says, in that disciples is what you pray for. Give us each day our daily bread. Why? So that you can do the will of your God. That in turn, his kingdom is made and come and so his name is glorified. What are we here for? The glory of God. Well then, what do we pray for? The bits and pieces we need in order to do God's will glorify him in our daily circumstances. You see, then panning for gold, Israel stopping in the desert to pan for gold, distracts from their purpose. 
And so it is true for us. We read together a portion of, from 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's a passage where the Apostle Paul teaches Timothy, minister as he was, what he in turn had to pass on to his congregation. And Paul says to Timothy that he's supposed to teach the congregation that godliness with contentment is great gain. With contentment. You don't need an awful lot, but you do need contentment. We brought nothing into the world, the apostle says, and we'll take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, with that we'll be content. Having much more, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. We're en route. And a head full of concerns about how to keep the bank balance where we want it to be is not going to help us reach that goal, do the will of God, make his kingdom come, glorify him. What do we teach our children? What's important? Godliness with contentment. We read also a portion from Luke chapter 12. It's a passage in which Jesus is speaking about the attacks of the devil. When you are brought, Jesus says in Luke 12 verse 11, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you defend yourselves or what you'll say. Satan shall attack. But Jesus comforts his own. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say at that time. And while Jesus is busy pressing that message upon his disciples, lo, there comes somebody in the crowd. Question, teacher. Help me. Tell my brother to invite the inherit, to divide the inheritance be, uh, with me. Pardon? In a context where Jesus is talking about Satan's attacks on the service of God, along comes this man. I want my inheritance, teacher. Tell my brother to share it. And Jesus replies, man who appointed me a judge or arbiter between us. And then he adds, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus tells that parable of the man who has so much. Tear down my barns and build new. Except, says God to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. What does wealth help you then? And hence Jesus' instruction in verse 22, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, etc., etc. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Does your God not supply? Wasn't that the lesson of Deuteronomy chapter 8? 
God took you through the desert. And did you lack every day again you received what you needed? Pagans. They're the ones who run after all kinds of things. They worry about the bread of tomorrow. And will there be enough security for a decade from now? But Jesus says, you seek his kingdom. Isn't that what life's about? God's glory. And all these things will be given to you as well, so don't be afraid, little flock. Don't you know who your father is? As a matter of fact, exactly because you know who your father is, and you've understood that what you need is bread, and he supplies bread, Sell your possessions, verse 33, and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. You have a treasure in heaven. Hasn't your father given you his son? And has the son not laid down his life for your sin? And is the result not that you are children of the father? So that the very God who supplies for the birds and the flowers treasures you far more than any flower of the field? Why then burden yourself with baggage? Faith and trust, says Jesus to his disciples, when you pray, demonstrate that trust. Ask for bread. And your Father will supply. That brings us to our third point, the perspective for life. What congregation is Jesus really teaching? Why, it's the same thing as Agur prayed back in Proverbs chapter 30. And what was his prayer? His prayer was, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Do not refuse before I die. The first is keep falsehood and lies far from me. And the second, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Why does he pray that? Otherwise, he says, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? I don't need him. Or, I'm become too poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Agur wanted to glorify the Lord. And then he recognized too much, too little, both of it attacks my ability to glorify my God. And so he prayed to avoid both ditches, having too much and too little. In our culture, the ditch of having too much and so loving wealth, comfort, stuff, is a far greater danger than the ditch of having not enough. 
And so Agur prayed for contentment, satisfaction. I don't need much. In that too is Jesus' instruction. Give us each day our daily bread. I believe, Lord, you'll supply in my time, in this culture. Spare me, Lord, from being too greedy, wanting too much, depending on earthly stuff. This congregation is a lesson that the early church understood. And so I read in Acts chapter 2, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that all the believers were together and had everything in common. None of this, that's mine. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need of. Two chapters later, we read the same thing again. All the believers were one in hearts and minds. No one claimed any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Why did they do it? Because they'd seen the example of the Savior. He'd given everything for his own. Now they knew if this was their Savior, if for Christ's sake the Lord was their Father, Would he who gave them so much, Christ Jesus, not give them everything they needed? They understood and gave. We're content to pray the fourth petition, to pray for bread. And this, brothers and sisters, is a petition we have been praying now for years. How has the Lord answered that petition? He's given us much. So very much. We have an abundance. But also in answer to this fourth petition, beloved, the Lord has given the economic downturn we've experienced in the past 12 months. Answer to prayer. A different prayer, different answer than we'd prefer. Perhaps so. But answer nevertheless exactly because our gracious God would impress upon us what life is really all about. It's not about collecting stuff. It's all about serving. Serving faithfully in God's kingdom. And he gives enough to do that. And so, beloved of the Lord, we're back to the question of the beginning. How important is a good wage to you? What's the signal you give to your children? What do they see from you? Central is, give me, Father, enough to serve in your kingdom. Nothing less. Nothing more. Lord, I live for you. And Father, why, 
He's your father for Christ's sake. He'll supply and give what's needed to live for him. He's faithful. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.